Chapter Six, Part Two of the Swiss Family Robinson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Swiss Family Robinson by Johann R. Wies. Chapter Six, Part Two. That night a change came over the weather, and early next morning I perceived that a gale of wind was getting up. From the height of our trees I could see that the surface of the sea was in violent agitation. It was with no small satisfaction that I thought of our hard-won pinnace, safely moored in the harbour, and recollected that there was nothing to call us to the wreck for the next few days. My attention was by no means monopolized by my sons and their amusements. The good mother had much to show me demanding my approval, advice, or assistance, as the case might be. A good supply of wild pigeons and ortolans had been snared, partly cooked, and preserved in lard. Of these she showed me her small cask, well filled. Then the nests of various pairs of tame pigeons were exhibited, but her chief care was the unpromising condition of her dear little fruit-trees, for, having been forgotten, they were so dry and withered, that unless planted without further delay she feared we should lose them. This needful work we set about, therefore, at once, proposing afterward an excursion to the calabash wood, in order to manufacture a large supply of vessels and utensils of all sorts and sizes. Every one was inclined for this expedition, consequently the planting of the orchard was carried on with surprising vigour, but was not completed until toward evening, and then all sorts of arrangements were made for an early start next day. The mother and Franz were to be of the party, and their equipment took some time, for we meant to make a grand family excursion, attended by our domestic pets and servants. By sunrise we were all astir, and everything quickly made ready for a start. The sledge, loaded with ammunition and baskets of provisions, and drawn by the donkey, was to be used for carrying home our gourd manufactures, as well as any other prize we might fall in with. Turk, as usual, headed the procession, clad in his coat of mail. Then came the boys with their guns and game-bags. Their mother and I followed, and behind trotted Juno, not in very good spirits, poor dog, because Master Knips, who had no idea of being left alone, must needs ride on her back. On this occasion I took two guns with me, one loaded with shot for game, another with ball for our defence against beasts of prey. Flamingo Marsh was quickly crossed, and the magnificent country beyond lay extended in all its beauty and fertility before our eyes. It was new to my wife and two of the boys, and the lovely prospect enchanted them. Here Fritz and Jack turned aside into the bush, where presently loud barking was followed by the quick report of a gun, and a large bird, which had risen from the thicket, fell heavily to the ground before us. Far from resigning itself, however, to death or captivity, it sprung to its feet, and, unable to fly, rushed away with extraordinary speed, hotly pursued by the excited dog, while Fritz ran, panting in the same direction, and Juno, eager to join the chase, sprang aside so suddenly that her rider was flung unceremoniously on the sand, as she darted to intercept the retreat of the active bird." This she cleverly accomplished, but its defence was maintained so fiercely, as it struck out with its powerful legs and sharp claws, that neither Fritz nor the dogs could master it. 
I hastened to their assistance, and found Juno holding on nobly by the wing she had seized, while the bird, which proved to be a magnificent bustard, struggled and fought fiercely. Watching my opportunity, I threw a large handkerchief over it, and with difficulty succeeded in binding its legs and wings. It was borne in triumph to the rest of our party, who meantime had been reclining on the sand. "'What have you got? What has Fritz shot?' cried the boys, starting up at our approach. "'A bustard? Oh, that is splendid!' "'To be sure it is the one we missed that day, don't you remember, mother? Aha, old fellow, you are done for this time,' said Jack. "'I think this is a hen bustard. It is the mother bird,' said Ernest. "'Ah, yes, poor thing!' exclaimed my wife, in a tone of concern. "'It is most likely the same, and I know she had a brood of young birds, and now they will be left unprotected and miserable. Had we not better let her go?' "'Why, my dear, kind-hearted wife, that was weeks and weeks ago. Those little birds are all strong and big by this time, and I dare say Mrs. Bustard here has forgotten all about them. Besides, she is badly wounded, and we must try to cure the hurt.' If we succeed, she will be a valuable addition to our poultry-yard. If we cannot, you shall roast her for dinner. Resuming our march, we next arrived at the monkey-grove, which was the scene of the tragicomic adventure by which Fritz became the guardian of the orphan ape. While he amused us all by a lively and graphic description of the scene, Ernest was standing apart under a splendid coconut-palm gazing in fixed admiration at the grand height of the stem and its beautiful, graceful crown of leaves. The cluster of nuts beneath these evidently added interest to the spectacle, for, drawing quietly near him, I heard a long-drawn sigh, and the words, "'It's awfully high. I wish one would fall down.' Scarcely had he uttered these words than, as if by magic, down plumped a huge nut at his feet." The boy was quite startled, and sprang aside, looking timidly upward, when, to my surprise, down came another. "'Why, this is just like the fairy tale of the wishing-cap,' cried Ernest. "'My wish is granted as soon as formed.' "'I suspect the fairy in this instance is more anxious to pelt us and drive us away than to bestow dainty gifts upon us,' said I. "'I think there is most likely a cross-eyed old ape sitting up among those shadowy leaves and branches.' We examined the nuts, thinking they were perhaps old ones, and had fallen in consequence naturally, but they were not even quite ripe. Anxious to discover what was in the tree, we all surrounded it, gaping and gazing upward with curious eyes. "'Hullo! I see him!' shouted Fritz presently. "'Oh, a hideous creature! What can it be? Flat, round, as big as a plate, and with a pair of horrid claws! Here he comes!' "'He is going to creep down the tree.' "'At this, little Franz slipped behind his mother. "'Ernest took a glance round to mark a place of retreat. "'Jack raised the butt-end of his gun, "'and every eye was fixed on the trunk of the tree, "'down which a large land-crab commenced a leisurely descent. "'As it approached within reach, Jack hit at it boldly, when it suddenly dropped the remaining distance, and, opening its great claws, sidled after him with considerable rapidity, upon which he fairly turned tail and ran. We all burst into a roar of laughter, which soon made him face about, and then, to our infinite amusement, the little fellow prepared for a fresh onset. 
laying down all he was carrying, pulling off his jacket, and spreading it wide out in both hands, he returned to the charge, suddenly threw his garment over the creature, wrapped it well round it, and then pummeled it with all the strength of his fists. For a few minutes I could do nothing but laugh, but then running to him with my hatchet I struck several sharp blows on his bundle, which we opened carefully, and found within the land-crab perfectly dead. "'Well, this is an ugly rascal,' cried Jack. "'If he hadn't been so hideous I should not have dealt so severely with him. I wasn't a bit afraid. What is the creature's name?' "'This is a crab, a land-crab,' said I, "'of which there are many varieties, "'and this, I think, is called a coconut-crab, "'or at least it deserves the name, "'for it is evidently very fond of eating these nuts, "'since it takes the trouble to climb the trees for them. "'The difficulty of getting at the kernel, too, is considerable. "'You showed no little presence of mind, Jack, "'when you thought of catching it in your jacket. "'In fact, it might have been more than a match for you otherwise,' "'for some are most determined fighters, and are very swift, too. "'Now let us take it, as well as the nuts, to the sledge, and go on our way.' "'Progress became difficult, for we were constantly stopped in passing through the wood "'by having to cut away the hanging boughs and creeping plants which interlaced them. "'Ernest was behind, and by and by called me back to see what proved to be an important discovery.' From the several stalks of one of these creepers flowed clear, cold water, and I recognized the Leon Rouge, which is known in America, and is so precious to the thirsty hunter or traveller. This is truly one of God's good gifts to man. The boys were much delighted with this curious plant. "'Only fancy, mother,' said Ernest, as he showed it to her, "'how cheering and refreshing to find this "'if one were lost and alone in a vast forest, "'wandering for days and days "'without being near a natural spring of water.' "'But are you certain it is safe to drink this?' asked she. "'I assured her it was so, "'and advised the boys to cut enough "'to quench the thirst of the whole party, "'including our animals. "'This they did, only finding it necessary, "'as with the sugar-canes, "'to cut air-holes above the joints.' After struggling onward for a short time, we emerged from the thickets into open ground, and saw the calabash-trees in the distance. As we drew near, their curious appearance and singular fruit caused much surprise, and also amusement, for we were speedily established among the trees where, as I chose and cut down the gourds most likely to be useful, every one engaged merrily in the work of cutting, carving, sawing and scooping some manner of dish, bowl, cup, jar, or platter, according to his several taste or ability. We were to dine here, and after a time Fritz and Jack began to prepare a fireplace, their great ambition being to heat the stones red-hot, and cook the crab in a hollow gourd. Their mother, therefore, left them to their own devices, and attended to the hungry animals, unharnessing the ass to graze, and giving coconut milk to the poor little monkey, who had been obliged to travel in a covered basket for some time, lest he should be lost in the woods. The wounded bustard had been completely forgotten, and from heat and thirst was suffering greatly, until her friendly care revived it, and it was tied to a tree, and allowed to move about, its fierce spirit greatly tamed by adversity. The cooking operations came to a stand soon after the fire was lighted, for it appeared that we had no more water in the jars we had brought, so the boys proposed to go in search of a spring. 
I agreed to accompany them. Ernest also wished to join us, and as our intention was to examine merely the surrounding wood, I saw no objection to leaving their mother and Franz for a short time. Very soon after our exploration began, Ernest, who was in front, turned with a face of terror, shouting, "'A wild boar! An immense wild boar, father! Do come quick!' And sure enough I heard a loud snorting and puffing as some large animal passed hastily through the thick underwood beyond us. "'After him, lads, after him!' cried I, hurrying forward. "'Call the dogs! Stand ready to fire!' And we pressed through the bushes to the spot where Ernest had seen the creature. The ground was grubbed up, and some potatoes lay about, showing that we had disturbed him at his midday meal." Ernest and Jack were more disposed to gather the roots than to follow up the chase. Fritz and I alone went after the dogs, who eagerly pushed on, and by the sounds we heard had evidently attacked the boar at no great distance. Terrific barking, snarling, and grunting guided us to the scene of action, and we beheld our mastiffs, one on each side of a large, respectable-looking pig, holding on by the great ears, while the animal, on seeing us, appeared rather to beseech our interference than to propose to offer a desperate resistance. In a moment the truth became apparent. The captive grunter was no fierce native of the forest, but our own runaway sow. Our excitement had been wound to so high a pitch that the discovery was quite a shock, and we felt half angry with the creature who had disappointed us. Then the absurdity of the whole thing made us laugh heartily, and, calling off the dogs, the old lady was released from her ignominious position. Our laughter resounding through the wood brought Ernest and Jack from their potatoes to see what was going on. "'Much use you two would have been, suppose we had required help,' cried Fritz, as they recognized their old friend. "'Ah, well, you see,' returned Jack, "'Ernest and I had a sort of kind of presentiment that this was going to be the old sow. And just look at our fine potatoes.' A good deal of joking on the subject ensued, but was interrupted by Ernest, who drew our attention to fruit resembling apples on the surrounding bushes and on the grass beneath them. The sow was making amends for the fright and pain she had endured by munching and crunching this fruit at a great rate. Fritz feared that it might be the poisonous manchineel, against which I once warned them, but on examining it I was induced to pronounce a more favourable opinion, and we collected a quantity in hopes that, if the monkey approved of it as well as the old sow, we might be able to enjoy a feast ourselves. All this time not a drop of water had we seen, and our own thirst increasing we felt eager to procure some before returning to our resting-place. Jack preceded us, and we made our way toward a high rock, which rose above the thickets, when he suddenly startled us by a loud cry of, "'A crocodile! Father, father, a crocodile!' "'Nonsense, boy, a crocodile of all things in this dry, parched forest, where we can't get so much as a mouthful of water.' On advancing to where Jack stood, I perceived that his mistake was not so very silly after all, for I beheld an iguana, one of the largest of the lizard species, and a truly formidable-looking fellow. I was glad to assure Jack that the strange creature he had found was perfectly harmless, and that its flesh being esteemed a delicacy, it would be a valuable prize to carry back with us. In another moment Fritz would have fired, but arresting his hand, "'Your shot,' I said, 
would probably only wound the animal, and being extremely tenacious of life, it would certainly escape. We must gain possession of the sleeping beauty by a gentler method. "'You're not going to kiss it, are you, father?' asked Jack with a grin. I tried to rebuke him for his impertinence, but failing, I commenced operations. I first attached a cord and running noose to a stout stick, and, holding a light switch in my other hand, I began to approach the creature with soft slow steps, while the boys looked on with the utmost curiosity. Presently I began very softly to whistle a sweet yet very lively air, which I continued more and more distinctly as I drew near the lizard, until, awaking, it seemed to listen with pleasure, raising its head as though better to catch the sounds, or to discover whence they came. When near enough I began gently to stroke and tickle him with the wand, continuing to whistle the prettiest tunes I could think of, and the lizard gave signs of pleasurable contentment, stretching his limbs and moving his tail in token of enjoyment. Suddenly, availing myself of a movement of his head, I cast the noose over it, drew the cord tight, and placing my foot on the body I was about to kill it by piercing the nostril, almost the only vulnerable part in this singular reptile, when Jack received such a blow from its tail, which was furiously driving in all directions, as sent him rolling over like a nine-pin. At the same time he opened his jaws, when the boys took fright at the row of sharp teeth, and thinking that the sooner he was dead the better, were for battering him with sticks, but I assuring them my method would kill him more quickly, and without pain, thrust my rod into his nostril, on which the blood flowed, and the lizard soon expired. The boys seemed to think me as wonderful a person as a snake-charmer, and the success of my stratagem, as well as of the means by which the lizard was slain, called forth great admiration, since they had never heard of the animal, nor of the method of capturing it so commonly practised in the West Indies. Now came the question of how we were to carry this unwieldy burden. I had a great dislike to killing any creature and leaving it useless behind me, so, without more ado, I fairly took it on my back, and marched off with it. As we came toward the Calabash wood, we could hear the voices of the deserted mother and child calling us in anxious tones, for, indeed, our protracted absence alarmed them. We shouted joyously in reply, and our appearance, as we issued from the woods, afforded them welcome relief from their fears, although the dreadful creature on my back startled them not a little. There was so much to tell, so much to be seen, that for a time hunger and thirst were forgotten, and no one thought even of the water we had vainly gone in search of, until Master Knips, having slyly possessed himself of some of our new-found apples, was discovered munching away and enjoying them amazingly, which instantly gave the boys a strong wish to eat some also, and as the bustard likewise pecked at them without hesitation, I felt sure there could be no danger, and on tasting them I concluded it was the fruit of the guava, a West Indian plant, which we were delighted to have." Although refreshing, this fruit rather sharpened than appeased our appetites, and we were glad to eat the provisions we had brought from home, without waiting to cook anything, as we had originally intended. It was, in fact, high time to move homeward, and we thought it best not to encumber ourselves with the sledge and the greater part of its load, but to leave it until the next day. The ass was laden with the iguana and the bustard, and little Franz, tired as he was, 
looked in vain for a spare seat on its back. Our road home lay through a majestic forest of oak trees, beneath which lay numberless acorns, some of which we gathered as we went along, and at length, before night closed in, we all reached Falconhurst in safety. When supper was ready, we were thankful to recruit our exhausted strength by eating heartily of a piece of broiled iguana with potatoes and roast acorns, which tasted like excellent chestnuts. End of chapter 6, part 2, read by Kara Schallenberg on July 16, 2009, in San Diego, California.